0: Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I would like to welcome C. Robert Holloway to the studio with me. Uh, C. Robert is a designer in films as well as a writer in his own
1: right. I'm very happy to have him here. How are you doing today, C. Robert? I'm thrilled to be here. Anytime a writer can promote himself is a great day. (laughs) Well, great.
0: Well, I'm so happy you're here, as I said. Um, Before we get into your writing life and your your transition into that, I'd love to talk about your work in TV and film as a production designer. For those that are not aware, there are many different jobs that happen when making a television series or a movie. Uh, Most people are unfamiliar what those titles mean. Uh, How would you describe a production designer's job, and how did you get into that?
1: There's a holy trinity in film production. It's the director of photography, the director, and the production designer. We're the holy trinity. Mm-hmm. If all goes well, we are just interlocked forever. And I usually ask, can I look through the camera before we begin the shoot? Yeah. It's one thing to put the set together, and it's another thing to see it through the lens. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what's that thing doing over <laughs> there? You know, who let that in? So. Over the years, I've developed uh, some wonderful relationships with directors of photography and directors. I can imagine. Who trust you implicitly if, when they finally trust you. Yeah. I had been a designer in the theater mm-hmm. and ballet and opera for years, and uh, I accidentally became a location scout. <laughs> A friend of mine, I said, I've got to find something to make a living. And this friend said, with your eye, you'd be a great location scout. And I said, what does that mean exactly? (laughs) And she told me. So I boldly, bravely, stupidly plunged ahead and became a location scout. And within three or four months, I got really good at it because of my design background. Mm -hmm. And I formed a company called Holloway's Eagle Scouts. And at one point, I had 16 people working for me on television movies and commercials and uh, feature films and what have you. I I did that for quite some time, and we were doing a movie for television. I won't say the name of it because it caused an upset. The producers had an issue with the designer, and it was a period piece. Mm. And I was location manager, and three or four days into the shoot... And in television, you do movies in 18 to 20 days, you know, that's breathtakingly fast. And do a period piece makes it that much more complicated. So they said, could you take over? And I said, "Uh, uh, (laughs) this person that I would be replacing is a friend of mine, you know. And they said, well, here's what's happening. We can't give you credit, but you've got to help us. Yeah. So I said, okay, but uh, for heaven's sake, don't let the word get out that I've, you know... (laughs) and it was very successful and suddenly the word did get out Mm -hmm. that here was a location scout who could also design and that's how i backed my way into the film industry if you will and the last thing i did here was a ballet for the marini opera house Uh i designed orfeo the sets the costumes the props the lighting i tried to introduce film techniques to the theater. And when I designed opera, I used to bring film techniques to it Mm -hmm. because for some reason, up until recently, opera people think film people are, "Hmm," you know, (laughs) they're slumming when they do it. And other way around, film people think opera is, well, that's silly. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all trying to make magic here. Yeah. So I always try to Bring cross-reference everything and bring it all together. I love that. And Pollinating everything.
0: I'd love to hear about your main concerns as a production designer. What are you looking for when you're designing these things, specifically for period pieces? Because I know that uh, sets a whole new bar to the challenge of, of getting a certain look for, for the series or okay. for the project. Number
1: one concern is how can we keep the Taco Bell out of the picture? <laughs> <laughs> Got it, yes <laughs> <laughs> because wherever you are and even if we find these charming little bits of streets that are left, we always have to find how can we mask out all the contemporary stuff? Uh, that's the toughest part. The other part is inevitably movie budgets and certainly in television are put together by accountants. Mm-hmm. And they're put ahead way before they show the script to me, the designer, or what have you. And I think, wait a minute, I don't know how to tell you how to file the taxes. (laughs) You know, why are you telling me this is what it's going to cost when we, I don't know what it's going to cost yet, you know. I can read a script and pretty well, so the biggest concern is how can we do this on a dime, Mm -hmm. you know. How can we do this on, we can all spend tons of money, but if it's not there to spend, the, the the other dirty word in television production is the what we call the B word. That means to build something. Mm. Must it's okay to take the real world and reshape that? We don't mind you if you have to pay for a paint job or something, but. Good heavens, you're going to build something? (laughs) I say, well, yes, there's this scene where we have a machine guy comes in with a machine gun and blows up the whole office. We can't do that in a real office. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not. You might have problems with... But the uh, accountant thought we could. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the biggest concern is marrying the real world with what the film demands. Okay. Interesting. Lots and lots of concerns for that because building costs a lot of money. Yeah. You know, so I got, well, I got regarded because I could make 10 cents look like $10. Yeah. And I started at 17. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I'd i won a partial scholarship to Carnegie Tech and uh, uh, now Carnegie Mellon. Mm. And they wouldn't let you work and go to the school and... I tried to, but it didn't work. And my mother wanted to build a new house. Mm -hmm. High school is good enough for your daddy and me. It'll be good enough for you and your sister. So at 17, I went to New York at 17. Oh, wow. And worked at Howard Johnson's on 42nd Street as a waiter and landed in an off-Broadway musical. I was a performer and actor for a long time. Okay. Not for that long, but long enough. And that's how I got started. I just, I, lots of nice people saw this burning passion and shared their knowledge with me.
0: But to kind of pivot a little bit, I want to talk about uh, your transition into to writing. Uh, you have a few books out, uh, including The Unauthorized Letters of Oscar
1: Wilde. Hemingway Prize winner.
0: Yes, uh, I think we can put that right there. Plug yourself a little bit.
1: <laughs> you are allowed to say that. <laughs> it was such a thrill. No, you know.
0: I can tell me a little bit how you started writing, uh, as well as uh, what led to that book, and, and a little bit about the book itself for, for our listeners.
1: David, I had always wanted to write, but chasing a career in the theater and and films and opera and so forth it's very consuming and. I always wanted to write, and I used to write fairly elaborate diary entries and so forth and journals and what have you. And I was at a cocktail party about 20 years ago, I guess it was. And this person was pontificating at great length that they had the great American novel yeah. in them, and uh, if they only had somebody to collaborate with or somebody to the time to do it, blah, blah, that was absolutely the great American novel. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my... I do not want to be that person. <laughs> I do not want to be that cliched person. So, Holloway, how do you get around doing that? So, I made a bargain with myself that I would tackle uh, the most high paying job I could find and set aside the money. And I gave myself six months because, you know, writing is writing. Mm-hmm. It's not, you can't run off and do be social butterfly and write. I was living in the Pontalba at the time. And um, not exactly uh, unelegant surroundings. I, my surroundings are very important to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And the idea came to me by accident. I was in the Beverly Hills Library and I had just been just been fired off a television movie because I thought the producer was an idiot and he thought I was an arrogant. And he, we were both right. And <laughs> we were both right. Anyway, I got fired, and I thought, "Oh, this is a nice badge of honor." So now that I got fired, and before the next job comes along, I need to do some write- reading. So I was in the Beverly Hills Library, very beautiful library, and they their stacks are such that the uh, you can see through the next aisle, mm-hmm. and books are lined up on that side, and books are lined up on this side, and. If you're not careful, if you push too hard, you'll knock the ones off on the other aisle. Yeah. Well, so I'm staring at something, and suddenly a book came out of the wall and <laughs> fell on the ground and on the floor. It was the collected letters of Oscar Wilde. Okay. And I went, whoa, is this universe telling me something? <laughs> so I went home and read them all, and I had been a fan, but not I hadn't studied them that much. And I thought, wait a minute. Here's a story that's the part that's not being told. Mm -hmm. It's all being, you know, carefully covered and masked and what have you. Why don't I figure some way to tell the part of his life that he couldn't tell? Yeah. And as luck would have it, the largest collection of Wildiana in America is at the Clark Memorial Library in Los Angeles. Much to the regret of the Brits, (laughs) but the Clark Memorial Library, William Andrews Clark was the son of a copper baron who lived in Paris and London uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And when Oscar Wilde was in such disgrace, William Andrews Clark was able to buy up all these books and, and, and manuscripts and so forth. And um, started his own library. He then built this magnificent library, which is actually near USC, not UCLA. Hmm. But in the 30s somewhere, he willed the whole thing to UCLA. It is one of the most beautiful facilities in America. Very very few people know about it. I had filmed there years ago. For something called More Wild Wild West, if you remember that television series. So here I am, years later, looking at the idea of writing something about Oscar Wilde. And I thought, wait a minute, let me go back down there. So you know, knocking on the door, this nice man, I said, I would love, I have an idea for a book about Oscar Wilde. Could I research here? And he said, well, what is your, you know, I know you work in the movies, but uh, what, what, what university are you affiliated with? And I said that hokey line, the school of hard knocks. <laughs> you know, uh, and he decided to trust me. Mm. So when you get the papers there, you wear white gloves, mm-hmm. and they bring it out one piece at a time in a beautiful box. And can you imagine the experience of touching Oscar Wilde's actual letters from Reading Jail? Wow. What an experience that was for me. I started shaking. Yeah. I had to run outside because I was crying so hard. Never forget that moment. Never. Talking about it now gets me so choked up. So I I was there for several months. I went every day and... They would re- begin to release more and more things to me as they trusted me, and I studied about his mother, and I studied about the true story of the relationship and what really went on in those hotels. and uh, And Bosie, his inamorato, was something of a little demon mm-hmm. and a bit of a psychopath. And the idea came to me uh, to create a correspondence across two mm-hmm. men. A hundred years apart, two gay men trying to be ethical and honest, but constrained by society's considerations, and what it was like then, and what it was like, what it's trying to do now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now this is the most preposterous, you know, uh, concept, and nobody that I know thought that had any faith in it. But yeah. I said, I don't. Know. So that meant learning to write and speak like Oscar Wilde. So that's where the research came in. Interesting. So I wrote about two-thirds of the book, and I sent it to a lady writer, a television writer, a friend of mine, and she said, my dear, it's brilliant stuff, but you need a framework. And I said, well, what what, what do you mean? She said, you need some way to get us into it. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I booked a trip to London, and I booked a stay at the Cadogan Hotel. That's the hotel from which Oscar Wilde was arrested. And they have long since changed the room numbers, mm. but I figured out which one was the ori- I got them to admit it. Uh-huh. Which one was the original room that he was arrested in. Then, in Los Angeles, at a lecture, I had met Oscar Wilde's grandson, Merlin Holland, who's oh. still with us. And he rather liked my idea of the concept. And I sent him a few pages, and he he thought it was amusing. So I invited him to the Kadugan Hotel. He had never been. He had never been there. Huh. And together, we figured out where Oscar sat, where he was looking out the window, how much he was drinking, uh, how people came to protect him, and then where the police came in and how they arrested him and yeah. everything. And that's how the book begins. Oh,
0: that's interesting. In a
1: sequence with me having on my way back from South Africa, which was true, and being, if you've ever taken that long a plane trip, you really lose all sense of time and place and Mm -hmm. what have you. And the book begins with me accidentally checking into the Cadogan and taking a long bath. And while I'm in the bath, I see all of this happening. Oscar Wilde, from the other room, I can hear him talking from the other room, and I hear the police coming in, and uh, the whole. Event, that's how the book begins,
0: oh. uh,
1: with me experiencing his arrest in that very room. Yeah. So from there, I write a letter to him, and as a lark, stick it in the mail, and by the time I get home to Los Angeles, he's answered me.
0: Interesting. And you're writing original letters from Oscar Wilde to yourself for this book. So you're in his voice writing to you.
1: Well, I, I prefer to think that he actually wrote it's, them. It's channeling. I, yes, yes. yes. I was channeling well, well, t- him, Tell
0: me yeah. about that, that process of, of finding, finding that voice for him and learning what were some like tells of his writing uh, in that you kind of found in order to make it highly original for the, the writing process?
1: Um, I found that he was writing on three levels. He was writing as the flip, brilliant raconteur that he was, he was also masking the duplicity of the English society Mm -hmm. and also masking the fact that he was deeply into star quality. Mm -hmm. He admired royalty a lot because he came from a fairly celebrated Irish family, but nevertheless, they weren't royalty, and Mm -hmm. he loved all that stuff. And he loved pretension, you know, and uh, so trying to get in the middle of that so that he would tell me the truth in the letters yeah rather than and then of course i did a lot of research about where did where did gay men hang out in the 1890s and how did they uh, con, con, how do they signal each other mm-hmm. and the word gay was actually in use then yeah it came from france uh, g a i but um it was called they all often referred to each other as, is he psychological? Mm -hmm. I love that expression, is he psychological? So what I tried to do was find some way that he knew that he'd met his match, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to put up with fakery or mask on a mask on a mask. Let's each other totally, each unmask ourselves for for, for this to be a responsible conversation. We have to tell the truth. Yeah. So we did. I love that. And there are two passages my lawyer read and said, You cannot publish this. (laughs) And I said, Why not? Because it startled me as well. But I also described the writing process, particularly with that book. I often can almost go into a hypnotic state and I'll look up at the screen and go, Whoa, where did that come from? So it was a long process. And, um, uh, I'm very proud of it because in the course of that six months, uh, towards the end of it, I started sending it off and I have somewhere between 50 and 80 letters of rejection,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, uh, from agents and, and uh, publishers and so forth. And then somebody told me about the Hemingway first novel contest. And I said, Oh, Please. Mr. Bullfighter, Mr. Deep Sea Fisherman, I'm going to send about two incredible, the most famous gay man in the world and a, and a not-so-famous gay man, I'm going to send this to Mr. Butch? Yeah. <laughs> somebody said, oh, shut up and just do it. Yeah. So I did. Forgot all about it. Sort of gave up for a while. Went to North Carolina. Did a. I was designing a movie with Christopher Reeve's last appearance after his accident. On film, and I called the answering machine here in New Orleans, and it said, "This is Hillary Hemingway. We're trying to reach, see Robert Holloway. He's won the Grand Prize." And I thought, "Somebody's putting me on. Somebody's putting me." On. So I had my assistant listen to the message again, and they said, "Well, there's a phone number to call." I did, and I had won. And, and she said, we're trying to reach then the agent. You now have an agent. I'm, 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 NPR wants to interview. And I was in the middle of doing this rather pedestrian television movie. And it was just thrilling. Oh, here's the other thing. Just because I won the Hemingway Prize and, and now had an agent, with the letters of rejection come faster and much more eloquent mm-hmm. <laughs> much more detailed you get two paragraphs instead of one. Oh now. no yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're so sorry but this is so well written but with this is limited market whatever uh-huh so i thought what the heck yeah so i'd heard about ex libris they were just starting and they were in princeton mm or they had a Princeton address. And
0: Ex is, for, for our listeners that aren't familiar?
1: Oh, it's a self-publishing. It was the beginning of major self-publishing. Mm. So I liked the idea they were in Princeton. I thought that gave me a kind of a cachet mm-hmm. by association. Turns out they were actually in Trenton, but they had a Princeton mailing address. <laughs> so this was, they were the first people to put things online. Mm. Before printing, They they put them online. So I thought, why not what 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 if nobody's going to do it i i better do it so i was one of their very very first people to uh, pu- uh writers to publish with them and miraculously the new york times which had been sneering at at self publishing prior to this decided they needed to do a story about self publishing and lo and behold they loved my book yeah and that suddenly suddenly you're okay right and because of it the london times literary supplement uh because of a friend well that's another story because of the book i suddenly began getting calls from universities Mm. and the first one was from the university of bologna italy we've a wonderful lady once again, I always think people are putting me on, you know. This lady called me and said, this is Giuliani Giazzi or whatever. I think her name was Giuliani Giazzi. I'm with the Literary Department of University of Bologna. We want you to come to speak for the centennial of Oscar Wilde. And I'm going, what? <laughs> the University of Bologna? I said, madam, I, I'm thrilled to hear from you, but I don't only have a high school education. We do not care. We love your book. <laughs> We love you to book very much. We want you to speak. And I said, really? <laughs> so I was off to Italy and in, in standing in one of the oldest auditoriums on earth, built in 1490 or something like that. Yeah. And um, it's got a magnificent building. I'm on a platform with... Scholars from Berlin and, and uh, London and uh, Princeton mm-hmm. and, and Harvard and what have you. And Tuckerton High School Holloway here. Mm-hmm. And this will get me in trouble with somebody. Uh, the head of the literary department at UCLA also was lecturing. And he, he considers himself the last word in Oscar Wildeana. And he kind of resented the heck out of me, but anyway, he did his paper, and it seemed to me that he hadn't done any research whatsoever, and it rambled on and on and on. And finally, they had to call time on him. And I thought, Wow, well, here we are in front of four hundred people. Yeah, this is how you do it. So I was so nervous. So finally, it was my turn to read a paper, and I thought just before they called on me, I thought somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, "Fake, you're a fake." You know, what the heck are you doing here? But I got through that. Yeah. And then I read my paper, and it lovely. And it's, I speak, I write more colloquially than you're supposed to do in academia. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to make it sound like conversation rather than pontification. Of course. If you will. So, it got a lovely reception. And then... um uh, From that audience, in that audience was the University of Adelaide, Australia. Mm. (laughs) So they invited me to Australia. And the irony was that absolute authority from UCLA didn't get published, but I got
0: published. Oh, interesting. <laughs> In
1: Italian and English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. What a thrill it was. I can imagine. That the, we're... the paper is called Seduced by the Wilds, Ah, and it's all about the mother, and the, the mother is the real Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speranza, she was quite a character. I can imagine. I love writing for many, many, many reasons, and I love reading for many, many reasons, but for me, the big thrill in writing is I love the research part, and I also love the fact that all those years in films where you had to get clearances to film somewhere, well, when I'm at my computer, if I want to go to Venice, mm-hmm. I type in, let's, you know, here we are, Venice, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then we're, we're in, I'll put you in Venice.
0: There's no budgetary and committee. I don't have
1: to worry yeah. about, you know, clearances or what have you. Now, my newest book... I was going to ask you. I'm still yeah. a little nervous. We're waiting to hear... Uh, the legal departments have gotten so... S- they forget about that. There's, a, there's a, a a basic law that you can't slander a dead man. Mm. Well, the the legal departments of all these book publishing companies, now, they don't believe that. Yeah, They think somebody's going to come up out of it somewhere and sue you. So I always write, as I said... E.L. Doctorow and Ragtime was such a fabulous influence for me because he mixed real people with fictional people. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. And um, so we're a little nervous about whether what the legal department is going to say to me. That's why I can't say exactly when the book's going to be published I yet.
0: Well, for, for, for our listeners' sake, what uh, what is the new book that's coming out this year? It will be out this year at yes, some point. Yes, it
1: will be out this year. Um, worked on it for 10 years. As wow. a matter of fact, I kept hating the ending and changing it and what have you. It's called Swan Song, and it's about uh, an obsession with Tchaikovsky. Hmm. It begins in Carnegie Hall at Judy Garland's famous live concert. Mm-hmm. And m- most people don't know this, but Tchaikovsky conducted at the dedication of Carnegie Hall in oh. 1899. Huh. The, uh, uh, Mr. Carnegie brought... Tchaikovsky to New York. Tchaikovsky's, his memoirs, his letters, his, all his writing was heavily, heavily redacted mm. by the government, by his brother and what have you. So one of the premises of the book is I recover all those things that got redacted. Ah. I won't tell you how we do that, but, uh,
0: It's intriguing, so you know, peaking the interest. Okay,
1: well, that's the one of the premise of the book. When I decided that the biographers of Oscar Wilde had tiptoed around his sexuality, always, Mm -hmm. no matter how thorough they were, it was always kind of yeah. Well, it was a phase he was going through, or nonsense. Yeah, it was a big part of his life, and. Because of society, and he had a wife, and he had two beautiful boys, and so forth, it was very difficult to be full out who he was. Yeah. So that led me to my second book about Ludwig of Bavaria, the Mad King, who was not at all mad. He was eccentric, but he wasn't mad, mm-hmm. and how his sexuality had destroyed his life. Yeah. So Oscar Wilde was utterly ruined after two years in prison. This man who had three plays running at the same time in London when his downfall came about, his life was ruined because of his sexuality. Then uh, uh, Ludwig's life was ruined because of his sexuality. And also Tchaikovsky's life was ruined because of his sexuality. He was ordered to commit suicide. It was all the uh, cholera was the cover, but mm-hmm. he didn't have cholera. He took arsenic, which acts exactly mirrors the effects of, of cholera. cholera. So here we had three men. I couldn't put them together ever, although they were the same time period. Yeah. Tchaikovsky attended the world premiere of the Ring Cycle in Bayreuth, mm. which Ludwig had financed. Oscar Wilde mm. Portrayed himself as a music lover, but he was a bit of a fake about it, really. Uh And Tchaikovsky conducted in outside London in 1891 or something like that. Yeah, and was given an award. We think Oscar Wilde attended that, but I never could get all three of them together. Yeah, but they are now because of my writing. So. Tchaikovsky is the completion of my trilogy. I hope my dream is to eventually put all three books together uh-huh. and p- publish them as one piece. About three brilliant men, they were forced to their demise because of their sexuality. Yeah. It sounds like I'm preaching here. I don't mean to sound that. It's just that's what drove oh, me to write it
0: Kind of to kind of wrap us up yeah. uh, shortly. I, I'd love to talk to you more about all this, but um, I'm interested what you're reading right now and and what you're going to have on, on the plate for for you next after after this book is published.
1: Mm-hmm. I have been uh, right, right now. I'm reading Walter Isaacson's "Glorious." Look at Leonardo da Vinci. Thank you. I'm also reading um, how how people hide money in the Caribbean. How uh... dark dark money possibly? Yes. Or, yeah. yes. And I, I read, like, three things at a time, yeah. you know I have to. And uh, in the future, I keep being urged by people who know me to write a memoir. And I said, yeah, it'll be read by about four people, <laughs> the, the four of you urging me to write it. Uh, so I've started that. Okay. But um, it's um, the title is Someday He'll Come Along. <laughs> and it's all about, you know, the, in pursuit of the other. Yeah. The, the, the mirror. And the truth is, I think I found my mirror a long time ago and it's me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a literal interpretation of the mirror. I think right there. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I learned a long time ago that there's no, there's no time left for dealing with heavily narcissistic individuals or, uh, people pretending to be... Something that they aren't. No, no pretending to be your admirer, mm. and they're really... Sycophants and, you think, know... Sycophants. Yeah. And uh, not that I get a lot of that, but I get enough of it. You yeah. know? I seem to be a magnet for, <laughs> for people that... Uh, I think the thing that... The most thing I deeply resent in, in the arts are dilettantes. Mm. People pretending to be... Because if you want a life in the arts, you got to give it all. Yeah. Period. You got to want it real bad and you got to give it your all. Yeah. There's no pussyfooting around it. And at this point, I have given, I'm still giving my all, still learning how to give my all. Mm. And I hope I never quit learning how to give my all.
0: See C. Robert, this has been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, it's a great way to start the new year for me with uh, my first interview. Uh, so thank you for coming on. I really appreciate well, it. Well,
1: thank you. What a joy it was to be here.
0: That was author and production designer C. Robert Holloway speaking with me earlier this month. And that's the end of our show. You've been listening to The Writer's Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch us every Thursday at 3 p.m. and every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. You can find all of our interviews archived at soundcloud.com slash WRBH reading radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.